Today's Cox Conversation is brought to you by Doers. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast Half Full Editor. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Wondrich. How are you, Dave? I'm good. How are you? Good. I um, I have to say this is a little bit unusual for us. Uh, we're, we're not alone in the studio today, and we're to be honest, we're not even in a studio. Um, it's a little weird. Um, we've, uh, this is our first live uh, Life Behind Bars recording, hopefully of, of many, um, in New York, uh, the Flatiron Room. Um, we in, uh, we've invited a whole bunch of friends for, for a special edition, including, of course, our, our buddy here, Gareth Howells. Uh, Bartender, uh, rock on tour, and uh, uh, doers, uh, brandmaster. Welcome, Gareth. Uh, Welcome, Gareth. All right, gents. Thank you. I mean, I mean, I, I, I will. S- <laughs> he, he has a little bit more of a professionally to, uh, I think, you know, especially today's episode. We're going to be talking a little bit about, uh, well, a lot about um, scotch, and uh, I think it helps uh, to have uh, a voice from across the pond, as they would say, to to give it a little authenticity. No yeah, offense. I mean, Dave. you know. We haven't really drunk a lot of Scotch whiskey in our in our days. So no, no. It's nice no. to have somebody who has. I here barely have tasted it, so I'm glad. I don't know why. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that Gareth is here to keep us straight. Um, yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, I you know, I've I've known Gareth. I don't know I, for for many years, and um, he has a, a similar historical bent to us. Uh, I remember uh, the first time he was he cornered me to talk about uh, clarified milk punch, which um, <laughs> was not like you know it, you know usually people want to talk about you know I don't know you know trophy whiskeys uh, you know what cocktail book like how to get Dave's email address whatever it is <laughs> right and I was like okay well, all right like now just send me whatever you want to send to Dave I'll send it to him and uh, Gareth like no 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 like I'm, I'm I want to talk about clarified milk punch and I was like you do. Like okay, and then uh, and then we did one uh, for uh, an old uh, Facebook Live when there was such a thing. Um, we made it together, which was sort of a real alchemy in art. So uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Oh, that's fun. So, yeah, that was a solid day. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> you did most of the work. It was on you. The, you had the pressure to make it sure that it worked out. But uh, so I, you know, and I, you were just there to heckle then, basically, and, yeah. and drink drink clarified milk punch. So okay. I mean, it's you know of a. I don't know, Dave could correct me, but I mean, that drink even predates blended scotch, right? And, and, and Oh, yeah, uh, it, it goes back to like the 1690s and Mrs. Afra Bain yeah. supposedly invented it. And she was, uh, when she wasn't being a spy and a courtesan and a writer and a playwright and uh, a professional tavern wit and all <laughs> kinds of other fun stuff. So uh, she's probably one of those people you would pretty much enjoy hanging out with. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of the perfect segue, I mean, uh, you know, for having Gareth here, it's sort of hard to talk about Scotch and, and the early days of Scotch without talking about Tommy Dewar, and that description could sort of totally fit him as... I know, don't know about the courtesan Well, maybe not the courtesan, not the courtesan, but maybe the biography I have read. The second half of it, the, you know, the wit, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the colorfulness, um... But uh, you know, looking, uh, you know, pulling. Well, we don't know, really. Maybe who knows? But um, <laughs> pulling, pulling. I remember uh, a couple of days ago pulling his obit from the New York Times, and you know, right in the the headline, 
you know, it's like wit is right up there with whiskey maker, you know, and it's like known as, you know, London's, you know, best after dinner, you know, speaker and his aphorisms and all this stuff, which is, it's kind of amazing, you know, to, to, to see all that from, you know, 1930 and, you know, his work and you know, from the late 1800s. I mean, God, that's something to aspire to, I think, right? <laughs> I mean, Tommy was incredible. Yeah. Raconteur. Yeah. Marketing guerrilla genius. Yeah, for sure. Philanthropist. Became the Sheriff of London. <laughs> Ended up becoming a Lord within right. the House of Lords yeah. in the United Kingdom. I mean, he yeah. was known for his wit. I mean, did he wear a star and a tall hat? <laughs> I hope so, yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of funny because it's, it's sort of hard to talk about the history of Scotch without talking about Dewar because, you know, the House of Dewar, is, I mean, it's the same, you know, their timeline is basically the timeline of the category. I mean, Scotch itself, you know, people have been making Scotch in the highlands around scotland for hundreds of years but like the the modern idea of what scotch is really only comes i mean into vogue you know in the i mean early to late yeah. 1800s really you look at you look at like the american market which has been so important for luxury spirits of any kind uh ever since they say the middle of yeah. the 1800s and uh, up until 1890 the only scotch we ever got over here was shipped direct from the distilleries in barrels and uh, used to make hot scotch toddies. Now, most people wouldn't even age it any longer than shipping. You know, they'd go, uh, they'd buy it, they'd put it in the cellar of their bar and, and that use it as and, they got it. And that wasn't because they were doing things like on the cheap or something. That's just their... That's the just I what it was, yeah. The idea of our modern yeah. idea of aging and this spirit must be aged for this many years, like just did not exist. And most of the early aging experiments, if you will, are because of shipping. I mean, you look at cognac, anything, it's, you know, uh, it's all, you know, they realize the... Yeah, you hold it until shipping season and exactly. then you ship it. And by the time it gets there, it's like, oh, this is good. I mean, the the earliest uh, luxury spirit in the world was Batavia Arak from uh, Indonesia, and the reason that was such a luxury spirit is by the time it got to Europe, it had been sloshing around in <laughs> boats for like a year, you know, and that was way longer than anybody else was aging anything. What? And so everybody was like, oh, this is actually kind of mellow, which if you've tasted Batavia, takes some doing. So. <laughs> well, I found an amazing interview with Tommy Dewar from... Um, 1895, which was like mm -hmm. a Q and A, and it was, it was really interesting and almost written, like you know, it could have run today. And, and one of the things was he said that we discovered that when we sent by sail ship whiskey to Australia and they would come back, it was even better because of all the barrels. And again, it yeah. was in 1895. I mean, this is this is cutting edge. Is you know all the things that we take for granted in terms of barrel aging, we didn't really know, or we were just learning then. I mean, I think there's that. Uh book uh, by Aeneas MacDonald, which wasn't his real name, uh, but uh, called Whiskey from 1930, where he talks about, uh, he went and talked to all the warehouse men, and they say, well, you know, 12 years old, that's the, the longest you should age a whiskey, because after that, right. it gets slimy, you right. know, and greasy, and it's just, it's just not good. It gets too barrely. You can't, you know, 12 years old, and, and I mean, really... That's pushing things. And for the record, I mean, like now, you know, you know, we're very strict in terms of the types of barrels that we're using. And mm -hmm. a lot of scotch is, you know, aged in former, you know, American whiskey barrels or sherry barrels. But I mean, back then, who knows? Maybe I don't know what was in that barrel. They, so, they were they were so using American oak, just the same yeah, as now. But it, so. but it could be, you yeah. know, all types of stuff. Yeah, it could have been uh, very old barrels. We don't yeah. know. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's an interesting thing, and and 
but uh, you know we talked a little bit about this on a previous episode but really the big the big moment for scotch is when unfortunately one of the darkest days for cognac and sherry and port where you have this thing called phylloxera was terrible little aphid bug that destroys vineyards all over europe right and and that really you know you look in all of the old cocktail books and mm-hmm. it's so much of the rest so many of the recipes are really you know sherry port cognac are, are part of that and then um you know rum and, and to a lesser extent you know rye whiskey so really you know for american whiskey and scotch that's that's the big moment where they they're able to step up and 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 enter the world stage of for, for drinkers yeah i mean the the cognac producers whatever stocks they had they were mixing with uh, german potato spirit right. you know to, to meet their mm. to meet their uh, commitments so yeah. It was a pretty, pretty nasty spirit. Well, and you see, you know, it's kind of amazing. You see, you know, we talked about it a little before, but Alfred Barnard, who sort of writes the first Scotch book, goes up to Scotland. You know, he's because people in London are very thirsty. They're very worried about having cocktails. They're like, we, we've heard that people in Scotland make whiskey. So he goes up there to investigate, sort of winds up going to every distillery, writing a book about what they're doing. And then later in 1895 actually writes his own separate pamphlet about blending and the art of blending, almost telling people, explaining to them in 1895 and, you know, in London, what is scotch? And for, you know, for the most part at that time, a lot of it's blended scotch. Yeah. I mean, in here in, in America, blended scotch came as like this sort of weird bolt from the blue yeah. in the, in the 1890s. In the 1880s, nobody drank it at all. It was still hot scotch toddies with that stuff out of the barrels. It was overproof, so you could set it on fire if you wanted, and <laughs> and uh, it was all very That's rough still and ready. How Gareth and, drinks and, it, by yeah, the way. well, yeah, uh, yeah. always flaming. Always, I mean, always. AF. Drink <laughs> uh, doers AF. That's what it really means. <laughs> always flaming. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the, and then uh, the weird thing is, I, I think what really got it over the top here was golf. Huh. And golf comes into America really big at around 1890, and everybody's like, what is this new sport? What do I drink afterwards? Uh, so you'd go to the clubhouse, and, uh, well, we're, you know, everybody's wearing, like, tweed uh, knickerbockers and scotch right. tweed hats because you, you had to get the merch, you of know, course. to go with the sport. The same, same, as, same as ever. I mean, people don't change that much. At least Americans don't. And, uh, and, and, and then as long as you've got the... Uh, the, the the, the sporting gear on, then you're going to have to have the right drink. And uh, the right drink was a Scotch highball, which was, uh, uh, I mean, really unknown up until around 1890. And, yeah. and, and it was first to everybody looked at that Scotch whiskey and soda. What the hell is this dude's drink? They should be drinking rye. And it just, it just blew people's minds. But uh, golf kind of put it over and uh, suddenly everybody's like, oh, we got to drink Scotch whiskey now. I mean, it's interesting. One of Dewar's first big starts in, in America was at 1891. Andrew Carnegie wrote a letter to the Dewar's family requesting a barrel of their finest Scotch whiskey to be sent to then president, Benjamin Harrison. Yeah. Um, we talked about the raconteur nature and somewhat opportunis- opportunistic nature of Tommy Dewar. Um, the barrel was duly sent and shipped into New York. Of course, Tommy dipped off the press and the paparazzi at the time, and as the barrel was being unloaded, it actually created quite a furore in America. Oh, yeah within the press and the paparazzi. And it was 
declared that Harrison was quite unpatriotic for not drinking the American bourbon and rice spirit. And of course, you're goddamn right. When they were talking, <laughs> when they were talking about the Scotch whiskey that he was drinking, it was indeed Dewar's Scotch whiskey, yeah. which really gave us a foothold in terms of where we are in North America. And that very much sparked in 1892 um, a global trip. Well, one of two global trips ultimately around the globe that Tommy took. Um, now known as his ramble around the globe in 1894, there was a book written about his exploits. He touched 26 countries, recruiting 32 sales agents globally to represent Dewar's whiskey around the world. And that was really the start of what became quite a fascination in America for not only Tommy Dewar, but for the Dewar's company as well. Which is pretty impressive, given that we we only get really national brands after the end of the Civil War. I mean, yeah. that's we didn't really have national brands in America, you know, before the Civil War. The whole War. idea of brands was not brands, even really a thing. Advertising agencies, yeah. all this stuff is a pretty modern idea, you know, in the 1860s, 70s, 80s. So when he's doing this, this is, I mean, this is cutting edge. Like the idea that people are drinking the same stuff, whether it's in, you know, uh, you know, Africa or the Middle East or Europe or America, like at the same time is. I mean, completely unheard of, and 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 doer. It was the most modern thing right. that anybody had ever seen. <laughs> Wait, you know, you mean you're putting this in bottles at the right. distillery? You're not shipping out barrels, and you're shipping oh, those yeah. bottles to every country in the world all at the same time from your one little place in like Scotland? It just blew everybody's and mind. It, and I mean, it's almost sort of like the Instagram age. You know, wherever he went, he was sure to take a photo, right? Whether it's you know, by the pyramids or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever, you know, monument that was recognizable, he was able to, like, capitalize on that, which is... I mean, I mean it took a while to take a yeah. selfie then. You, you know, <laughs> you set the thing up on the tripod, you got the cord, you, know, you went focused back and forth, and then click. But, uh, you know, he could do it. I mean, and that's something to remember as well, because transatlantic travel as we know it did not exist back then. We're talking the end of the 1800s here. Right. There was no Virgin or American Airlines. I mean, you were literally on Thank steam God. train. <laughs> steam ship. Your clothes are being taken around in trunks. I mean, he was on the back of camels, Sherpas, yaks, whatever the hell he could get his hands on just to get around. And he traveled the world. He touched Amazing. every continent to be able to do that. Um, I couldn't even imagine what it would have been like. But, uh, I mean, it must have been an interesting time to be doing that and spreading oh, the yeah. good word of whiskey. Now, you can imagine that you need a drink after that or yeah. during that. <laughs> uh, see, I, I'm just thinking about next yeah. time the Daily yeah. Beast sends me yeah, out. Exactly. If I can uh, invoice for totally. a Sherpa and a camel. Wait, of course, of course. <laughs> we'll totally book you on the slow okay. boat if you want to go that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. You know. I mean, he was actually famed for writing messages in bottles that would say that if you sent this note back to the Doer's Distillery, they would pay you back in kind with whiskey. And he was known to throw them off the side of boats that he happened to be on just to see where these messages would be sent back from. And he always returned the whiskey in kind. I mean, the guy was just, I don't know, he was a genius, to be honest. I mean, it's really good fun to actually be able to represent using his spirit, the doer's whiskey today. Well, I I think it's really interesting. I mean, we see, you know, in that around the turn of the century, a few spirits that, you know, have that amazing growth and popularity that blended scotch does and i mean scotch as a whole but when we're talking about scotch really before i mean i'd say the 1980s 1990s most of it and still is sold in america is blended scotch i mean it's you know we get some earlier we get some you know in the 60s 70s 1960s 70s but really from like the turn of the century through 1980s, 1990s, it's almost all dominated by blended Yeah, style. very little I mean, malt coming in. That's because yeah. it's bloody delicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, well, it's also how Americans like to drink yeah. things, you know, is uh, we, we're a mixed drink country, and uh, 
For mixed drinks, uh, the great advantage of blended scotch is uh, is that it's uh, and uh, this sounds like you know like I'm calling it basic or something, but it's in some way generic, as in it tastes like scotch, not right. like this scotch or that scotch. It tastes like the whole category. So you make a scotch cocktail, you know what you're going to get. It's going to taste like scotch. It's not going to taste like seaweed and iodine on the right. one hand, or you know this other thing on the other hand. It's going to be like just really uh, understandable, approachable. It's going to have that consistent flavor profile that makes for uh, good mixology. You know, not weird mixology, just good mixology. Well, and, and I think that also upends, like, the modern myth where, you know, a lot of people I talk to are so afraid to make cocktails with scotch, right? They don't want to add ice or mm -hmm. water or club soda or anything. I mean, God forbid, I don't know what they think is going to happen to it, but, you know, <laughs> it's going to blow up or something. Yeah. But but it basically, I mean, at the dawn of the original Scotch Age in America, we're putting it in all types of things. I oh, mean, we're, by we're, 1895, I mean, the Rob Roy is, uh, is already there, and that's, you know... I mean, it's a simple drink. It's a Scotch Manhattan, but it's one of the best drinks there is, and, especially and, in cold weather. And uh, and according lovely. to your research and article on the on the on half full last year, I think, yeah, made not too far from here. I mean, uh, invented in Hoboken. Right. So I, I mean, what Hoboken, else can New we Jersey. say was invented in Hoboken? I mean, <laughs> Frank, Frank in the eighties, we used to drink the Hoboken right. Speedball, right. which right. was a, a can of butt and a cup of deli coffee. Right. But <laughs> that's because we lived in Hoboken. But uh, that's right. Here we got, I mean, we got the Hoboken Speedball, the Rob Roy and Frank Sinatra. Those are the three. That's, big that, that's it. I mean, that's, that's all you need. That's amazing. That's it. I mean, yeah. it's a perfect night right there. <laughs> but I mean, it's amazing that you, you know, the drink, the Rob Roy, which is, I mean, there are few left, right? I mean, the Rob Roy, the the Blood and Sand, which has, I mean, it's an amazing name, right? But yeah. it's, it's a name for uh, a, uh, uh, what's it, um, Rudolph Valentino movie. But other than that, we don't really know. It doesn't taste like blood or sand, um, <laughs> fortunately. Um, who makes it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I put extra blood in mine, so. <laughs> the, the very artisanal blood in this one and sand. Um, I'm going to start ourselves. garnishing it with black pudding. Black pudding. But that's about it. Though. I mean, other yeah. than that, up until recently, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of whiskey scotch cocktails that that come down right i mean That's, you know the rusty nail the and, rusty nail which popular in rec rooms from coast to coast right. <laughs> i mean and it then, goes with it goes with plywood paneling like yeah. nothing. i mean even uh i mean what was you know you've written about this several times you know for for me over the years about basically the original hot toddy i mean we talk about the hot toddy oh my god I mean, yeah it's, I mean, it's the most bastardized drink probably out there. Right now, it's anything mixed together as a hot toddy that's hot and, you know, is somewhat, you know, holiday-ish, right? But originally, the hot toddy was the whiskey skin, also a terrible name. But, um, you know... But, <laughs> I don't know. I've been called that. <laughs> <laughs> but very but very, very simple, though. I mean, hot water, whiskey, yeah. and a little bit of uh, lemon peel, right? I mean, that's about yeah. it. And that was also a giant bestseller. I mean, that was... Well, it's good in cold weather. I mean, I, I kind of learned the... Uh, I'd always uh, drunk a lot of uh, scotch and sodas and things like that in New York bars because I was poor and I had to drink in old man bars. And that was what you drank in old man bars if you didn't want the guy to look at you <laughs> like he was, you know, scraping you off his shoe. I'd like a Cape Codder, please. Right. Uh, you know, 
I'd like a, yeah, can you do a woo-woo? No, I cannot do a woo-woo. No. Uh, scotch and soda? Fine. Uh, you know, dry martini? Fine. That's about it. Uh, you could get those. Uh, you could get bourbon on the rocks. And that, and that was also but, that was about it. Surrounded in this room by, you know, hundreds and hundreds of bottles of whiskey, it seems absurd yeah. to say that. The old holiday lounge, I guarantee, carried none of these brands. Right. No, I mean, it was you wanted whiskey. Your choice was blended scotch. Yeah. Blended scotch or maybe a bottle of dusty bottle of bourbon. And that was about it. I mean, that was about, I mean, that that's, was about it. Maybe they would have, you know, I remember, you know, at a lot of bars, same ones. That was that was a safe order. I mean, that was always going to be good. Other than that, it was, you know, there wasn't a lot of selection. There wasn't a lot of no, and and so you know, you 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 would uh, have these scotch and sodas. That was good, and then uh, like sing. That was my basic experience with scotch. I'd had single malts on occasion when I could afford them. I go to Scotland uh, for the first time on a on a press trip in like two thousand two thousand one. And they've got us bobbing off the coast of, uh, off the west coast of Scotland in a rigid inflatable boat in about 40 degree weather with rain blowing at us sideways uh, for about two hours. And uh, we've got hip flasks full of uh, smoky single malt. And I'm like, oh, okay. Now I understand. It's a sports beverage. (laughs) The original Gatorade. It really is. I mean... It's an outdoor, like up and at them, you know. Uh, I've got, I've got, uh, I've got cold wind blowing up my kilt, kind of drink. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, really, <laughs> you, you need it. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about whiskey, though. It's a spectrum, <clears throat> and I'm an equal opportunities whiskey drinker. Grew up drinking Irish and Scotch, but I will literally drink anything that people put in my hand. Um, but <laughs> see there, with, with, within reason. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But um, there's so many different points on there, whether it's single yeah. malts, whether it's blends, no matter where the whiskey comes around, well, from around the world, there's a whiskey out there for everyone. It's just a case yeah. of trying as much as you can and trying to narrow that down and work out where you fit on that spectrum. You know, so much of the success that, that Blended Scotch had, I mean, the whole idea was that, you know, they wanted, the blenders wanted to add grain whiskey, right? It was to smooth it out. It was to put it all together. It was to, like, find a way to make this, you know, so many people... When I ask about scotch, like, I want a scotch, but I don't want it to burn. And I don't yeah. want any peat, right? And it's a sort of modern idea that every scotch is peat, right? Everyone is peated. Everyone burns all the way out. And the whole idea of blended scotch from the beginning was to make something smooth and enjoyable and that, you know, wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't be the sort of like proverbial fire water, right? Well, it was like to it take was, that, you know, outdoor sports drink right. and turn it into a little bit of an indoor drink. Right, exactly. And, you know, we've got the same thing going on with rum, and everybody really loves right. blended rums. There are millions of them, right. uh, and almost every rum you get is blended. There are very few that are straight unblended. And uh, and people are like, oh my god, I'm really loving this, like, blended Barbados barrel-age yeah. thing. And then blended scotch, they're like, no, I'm sorry, I only drink malt. Right. <laughs> it's like, come on, what the hell is wrong Which, with again, you? is like a fairly modern yeah. conceit. And, I mean, really, we see blends dominate the scotch and whiskey market for decades. I mean, really, you know, after, you know, before, before World War II, obviously there's no prohibition yeah. um, in, in Scotland. And then even during World War II, the distilleries don't really shut down but they keep making less and less as they get you know less you know of the malted barley and then winston churchill and his great foresight realizes okay the war is finally going to probably come to an end 
let's give the distillers more malted barley to start up again because we need it because it takes years for whiskey to be ready. Well, also, they had to pay for all the tanks. Oh, and absolutely. Stuff that they and were big, uh, yeah, getting exactly. from us the tanks and yeah, ships. Yeah, what can we make that will sell? And, blah, blah, and, and blah. it was like, okay, let's start making whiskey now, yeah. be ready sooner. And, and really, through the 50s, 60s, it's, you know, blended scotch is king. I mean, it's, it's the biggest crank. Um, it, oh, I know, mean, some of those brands, they're mostly gone now. Some of the luxury brands, every once in a while, you get an old bottle of one of these things and from the 50s, and you're like, wow, this is like, you know, and uh, I, I, like back from back then, okay, you know, this is a legitimate luxury spirit. Yeah. I mean, it's rich. It's, it's almost all malt. There's some grain whiskey in there just to soften and blend. But, uh, and you know, and, and you see that today with, with the, some of the, uh, you know, the higher expression yeah. uh, blends are... Are, are really quite rich, satisfying spirits, and 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 you know the regular ones are a great value in a bar. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, it's a. I mean, like 1975 is sort of the high water mark for sales in the U.S. of Scotch. You know, of all all. I mean, it's, it was mostly mm-hmm. blends at the time, a little bit of single malt, and then it's. I mean, basically 25 years of straight down. You know, sales just. Decreasing and and by the time that scotches sort of make their epic comeback around 2000 or so, blends have been forgotten for the most part. You know, it's all about single malts, and I think we're we're kind of, you know, Dave and I. I mean, I I, I kind of want to talk about, it, but I don't want to talk about because we've done this in the past where Dave and I have talked about some of our favorites that a lot of other people don't like yet, and then they become popular and then Dave and I can't <laughs> buy them anymore. So, I mean, uh, I do. Van Winkle family right, reserve. Sure, that, that would be one. That would be one. I could think of several other ones. Right, exactly. I should have bought a lot more cases. Yeah. Um, but I kind of think that blended scotch is there too, where there are a lot of them where, you know, this is one of these categories that's hiding in plain sight that we're going to see crinkers, bartenders mm. really, you know, coming back to over the next few years, especially as they realize it's everything that, you know, it's good for drinks. It's it's smooth. It's, you know, the high well, balls coming back. You know, also you get the, the the richer ones. I mean, like like a Dewar's 12. And uh, for mixing drinks, it offers texture, you yeah. know, which is something that uh, I think is is something you get to with, with experience in, in mixing drinks. After you've been mixing drinks for, for years, you really start to appreciate like a simple drink. But I'm going to use spirits that have like kind of a rich texture that that, that uh, go all the way through, you know. That so you can keep it simple without it tasting insipid. Yeah. It doesn't taste like a thin drink, it, it, you know. Because but for that you need to you need to really know your spirits pretty well. You need to know all right that one's got that kind of silkiness that I want for that. So if you stir that up with a little vermouth and put some bitters in, it's going to be just really rich in mouth coating. And uh, that but that takes that takes a lot of. Uh, Sitting at the bar and opening bottles and pouring things into glasses and sipping. So, them. so what you're saying is basically, Gareth, stop traveling, stop telling people about what this guy. <laughs> we need you to stay home, just with us. We don't need you. Yeah, going out, just no or, more. My boss is just over there. If you ask him nicely, <laughs> yeah. actually happen. I mean, it's interesting when you talk about Scotch, especially within North America. I think it's a perceptional thing. If you actually look at the breakdown of the market, you look at exports from Scotland. You look at yeah. the actual amount yeah. of whiskey that's consumed. 
by far and away, blends is still the biggest category oh, yeah. massively almost, of scotch what, that is. Almost, yeah. um, I think one of the big things that has happened historically is the voice, actually people representing, going out to market, explaining what it is to be a blended scotch, how that category breaks down, you know, talking about the grain and the malts and how these things are constructed. Yeah. And for me, blended scotch, it's all about the replication of flavor profiles. Each of the houses, they have their own house style. If we were talking mm -hmm. doers, think honey and citrus and heather. It's the approachability, almost the malleability of that drink that you can use in so many different ways, but also more recently, the premiumization of those scotches. I mean, within the various lineups, yep. you now look at the different marks that you can get. You look at the finishing that's being done. You've looked at the way that we're now approaching the market mm -hmm. to re-engage. Because the one thing we haven't done for a while, and I'd say that this is endemic yep. across the whole of the blended scotch industry, is really re-engage. Remind yeah, people that we're there. Especially with blends, they, they were kind of left to drift and you know, slowly. Or, or they were trying to really ape off, sort of pass a single malt, yeah. you know, like pretend, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of, yeah, sure, we're single malts, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally, totally, yeah, 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 and, but it's, you know, but without, you know, trying to separate or They weren't, they weren't spending a lot of time on product development. No, no. You know, so, I mean, the malts, the kind of the accountants were running it, and it's like, Absolutely. more grain whiskey, less malt, or, you know, younger grain whiskey, whatever, it's yeah. like, and, and, you taste like a really well-aged grain whiskey, and it's like, oh, this is this stuff is actual whiskey. Yeah. I mean, this is this is delicious in its own right. And grain whiskey's often been billed as effectively neutral grain filler that's yeah, just yeah, had an is. element of malt and no. then pushed that in bottles. Which, and I would completely yeah. disagree. Yeah, and and we've seen some of the brands actually bottle some of their aged grain whiskey. Mm -hmm. and it's delicious. I mean, it's really. I mean, know, it's the same with Canadian whiskey. Some absolutely. of their blending whiskey is absolutely delicious. Who knew? Yeah. And we're and we're now seeing it parted out. Like I mean, each yeah. part of Canadian whiskey same. is they're yeah. aging it separately, kind of like Scotland in the same way that they're parting it out and, and bottling each of those. And I mean, that was one of the biggest misconceptions when I started 20 years ago writing was that this idea that a nobody had any idea what grain whiskey was, and b that it was just it was just vodka. It was yeah. vodka. You yeah. know, it's just alcohol. Oh, you're just you know, you're just, just cutting it with vodka or, because you know. that was how you made American uh, right exactly because <laughs> that's how we did it because of our laws. That's why we we did it. So we assumed other people were doing it. <laughs> I mean, just as bad as us. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you'd be astounded when we're out there talking, whether it's me, anyone else yeah. from Portfolio, my brother in whiskey and, and counterpart Gabe Cartarella, who's who you know very well. In fact, now I'm not sure I if do. you know him, Dave. Yeah. And you'd be amazed at, how many, amazed at how many people are unaware of the fact that there's essentially two distillates that come out of Scotland. When you start explaining that yeah. symbiotic mm -hmm. relationship between the grains and the malts, how one really couldn't exist without the other in terms of blended scotch and malt whiskey, it kind of just, you can see people's cogs turning, their eyes opening and almost their jaws dropping. And, it's a and, fascinating and part And that of it's more of like, uh, you know, almost like a symphony where, where each distillery you're blending sometimes dozens of different single malts together, you know, to make a product where, you know, it's sort of mind-blowing in its complexity. I'm not, I mean, I, Dave and I, I mean, I've, I know how it works, you know, logically, but, you know, the practice yeah. of... Well, I can, I can make a good blend once. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, but to do it you over know, and over. What I do, and, like, spirits tastings, oh and I've goodness. got, like, oh, there's some grain whiskey, there's yeah, some, you, some malt. I'll mix some of this. Oh, that's really, sit really tasty. It, it home, and then you, make it again. Right. Like every day. No. You know, you put together 10 malts. Okay. Yeah. And then 
and you you know do that over and over again as things change and you know barrels are different yeah here's different year malts year now now make the same whiskey right what exactly <laughs> i mean that's basically what you have to do yeah. so i mean yeah. it's and that's the crux of really what it is to be a blended scotch whiskey it's the effective ability to be able to replicate a flavor profile time and time again yeah. from a constantly evolving well, landscape it's the same with cognac you know i mean they right. use younger cognac they use older ones right and uh you know all, all, and it and They've got a like it's a dizzyingly complex art, and it's really uh, it's almost the peak of the spirits business. And it's a weird thing because only like what was once like a skill and valued has you know during the rise of single malts has sort of been turned into you know like an accusation and like somehow like some kind of you know uh, the the blends are less you know good because they're blends you yeah know i mean and it's like no it's they're different i mean it's it's a different some are less set. good because they're sure. crap right but sure but, <laughs> but they're the same with malts right they're same with malls the same with <laughs> same with everything i mean it could yeah, be anything same I mean, with but, everything yeah. but that like the blending itself is no it's a different technique but no yeah. less valid and good is such a relative term Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> well, we we also have some time. Uh, we don't we don't normally get to do this, but um, if we have questions from the crowd too, if anybody uh, has any. When you say there's two separate, basically two separate distillates that come out of uh, Scotland, go into specifically what you mean. So within Scotland, we have grain and malt whiskey. So malt, if you speak to people, you know what's distilled in Scotland, more often than not, they're going to say malt or single malt whiskey. 100% multi-barley water yeast produced at a single distillery, and it will produce effectively two different types of Scotch whiskey. So your single malt, which will be the whiskey blended specifically from a single, a single malt distillery, or blended malts, or historically what we're known as vatted malts, which will be a blend that's created from a number of different distilleries, single malt whiskey. Now, grain whiskey, the grain whiskey is a little bit more interesting because it can be distilled from any, well, single or combination of grain, and Scotland more often than not wheat. Now, one of the biggest distinctions between the two is single malt whiskey is batch or pot distilled. So it creates this multitude of flavors, this robust, this oily, this incredible whiskey that's just delicious. I mean, depending on the blenders or the people running those distilleries, it produces phenomenal whiskey. Um, now, with grain whiskey, it's continuously or column distilled. So you tend to have a much lighter spirit, perhaps higher in ABV. And that's really the backbone, that grain whiskey of what it is to be a blended scotch. That's kind of... Imagine that uh, your green whiskey is a canvas and you're an artist. That's the backbone. That's the structure for which you're going to create the picture or ultimately the mark of whiskey that you're going to look to produce. Now, the single grains that you bring in, and bearing in mind with doers, we're looking at up to 40 different components that are used in each and every mark that we produce. It's those grain whiskies. They're the color. They're the brush strokes. They're the thing that bring the things to life. That's what allows you to manipulate the complexity and the flavor profile of the whiskey that you're ultimately looking to produce. And they're all single grains. They, you don't have corn, you don't have things mixed together in the mash bill. It depends. I mean, there'll always be an element of malted barley in there, um, normally within the grain whiskey, just because it's, I mean, you really need malted barley whenever, whenever you're distilling. Um, but in terms of the physical grain whiskey that can be used, I mean, you could use any, you could use any grain that you wanted, but more often than not, it will be wheat whiskey that will be used, or wheat that will be used in Scotland. In Ireland, I think they use more mash bill whiskeys for that. So, so speaking of grain and grains, do we need to talk about provenance of the grains at all? We don't hear that when we talk about scotch. Like, for instance, going back to cognac, we've got grapes grown in different regions that may be better for long aging or, you know, blending, that kind of thing. But I haven't heard that that talk about anything barley or anything. Do we need to talk about it? Does it matter where the barley comes from? I mean, that's one of those questions that people 
<laughs> keep like kicking around and and uh I don't think there's any consensus on this uh but you see in general I think it doesn't matter that much but there are always exceptions like we're using a special strain of yeah. this or a special strain of that of grains uh I mean in 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 Ireland uh it used to be when they made their uh, pot still whiskies they used oats and rye and uh, and uh, malted and unmalted barley, or sometimes uh, oats and wheat. Uh, and uh, all of those were generally grown right around the distillery. And that was very important to them 100 years ago. Now, not so important to them. Um, some people are starting to go back to that, though. It's like we're just using local grains. Uh, partly it's for... Uh, sustainability issues you know we're not shipping stuff in from all over but uh, partly there's I guess there's an element of terroir (laughs) if so it hasn't really been fully explored I mean it's kind of hard to explore grain is different from fruit also because it's already dried it's like using raisins (laughs) <laughs> you know, which they used to use for making spirits all the time or, or wine I mean, they used to make a lot of, of wine yeah. and yeah. brandy from raisins yeah. and uh because that was how you preserve grapes i mean i i think on the small scale you see different you see differences right but on the large scale a lot of that stuff is evened out you know with grain uh, and and some of the grain it's with grapes you know you're you know, different areas of cognac, you know, get different amounts of sunshine and the bricks or the sugar content is different from mm-hmm. vineyard to vineyard and even the way that they're being pruned affects. And there's minerality the, issues, right, I mean, et cetera, but, water. but you're making it from fresh, you know. I mean, I think part of it is yeah. that, uh, you know, if anything, we see most of the industry in Scotland, you know, every so often, you know, uh, whatever the strain of barley optic or home is switched. And, it, you know, as an industry itself, it's almost that's it's one of almost the constants that's, you know, used. I mean, I'm not sure that I mean, a few distillers have sort of dabbled in that. But for the most part, I think people actually want almost a consistency of the grain. And then they're the other variables are the ones that they're 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 using to, to affect flavor. I think the yeah the real terroir terroir in, in whiskey at least Scotch whiskey comes in with the water, yeah, which you know is a huge part of and this. And the yeast of it, too. yeah. I mean, it's, but I mean, the water is like uh, there's some whiskies that don't peat their malt and they still taste peaty because right. their water source is peat. peat you know, yeah. it runs over peat and it comes in there and like if you run the the, the bathtub in in uh, in in Islay, uh the water comes out brown. <laughs> you know, it's like this is kind of disgusting. It looks like tobacco spit, and I'm going to bathe in this. But mm, you know, tasty. you are, and, and and it's fine. <laughs> and then uh, obviously, and then the barrel. Too. I mean, I think most of the focus and in innovation recently mm-hmm. has, has been the barrel, and I mean, obviously, all the color and a lot of the flavor comes from the barrel. So I mean, that's uh, you know, almost keeping the grain neutral or, or keeping it mm. consistent. I think is part of their success of, of creating a consistent product but I, I think we'll see more of that though, yeah to be I think honest. so too yes I like what you said about innovate because that's what my question is about talking about doers a lot it seems that blend of scotch is somewhat in the decline and when you bring up doers a lot of people say oh my grandfather used to drink that or I actually hear more my grandmother used to drink that 
Fuck yeah, they did. <laughs> it's been blended for almost 200 years, and it's delicious. Yeah. So I, I was wondering if you could share some of the stuff that Doers is doing to innovate and stay rele- relevant in a category that, that is sort of perceived um, in a not-so-positive way by today's drinker. That's a great question. Um, so we've done a few things, actually. Uh, earlier on this year in April, uh, we brought out what was known as the Double Double series. Um, and it was at a 21, a 27, and a 32-year-old age statement finished in Oloroso, Palo Cortado, and Pedro Jimenez barrels. Very limited release. Um, exceptional whiskey. Uh, our master blender, Stephanie McLeod, who runs the operations for doers. In fact, she doesn't just run the blending operations for doers. She's the master of malts for our five single malt distilleries as well. Uh, Aberfeldy, Altmore, Kregelicki, the Devron, and Royal Brackler. So she's possibly got one of the largest jobs that exists in Scotland. She wanted to try and produce the smoothest blended Scotch whiskey uh, that has ever been released to market. And she did so by effectively releasing to market a whiskey that had been staged in four unique stages. What she did was she looked back to the way that our first ever master blender, AJ Cameron, used to marry or vat his whiskey when he released the white label in 1899. And she combined that marrying or vatting technique with the way that we double age our whiskey today. And in fact, we're one of the only major blending houses left that continues this double aging practice with our whiskies. Um, and then she applied the unique sherry finish at the end, and it was remarkable. Um, she actually won the IWC Master Blender of the Year this year for 2019. And in fact, for those of you in New York, and a few of the faces here were there last night, we just had Whiskey Fest. Now, at Whiskey Fest, we also have Whiskey Advocate magazine, who releases their top whiskies for 2019. And in fact, that Double Double 21 that she released took, well, best overall Scotch whiskey, and uh, it took second place overall. And in fact, I've got a wee little hip flask here if you guys want to have a quick nip. I just uh, <laughs> happened to bring some down Wait, wait, uh, your, your bud's here first. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the other things we've done, now, I mean, to be fair, that was really at kind of like the top end of the whiskey game. Yeah. Think about that 21, 27, 32-year-old age statement. It's no mean feat to mm. release whiskey at that age statement in the current climate today. Um, I think we've just had some glasses of some whiskey that's been put down in front of everyone in the room. And for those of you who aren't in the room and can't see, there's been a, a glass of a, a brand new release that came out just over two months ago. It's the Doer's Caribbean Smooth. It's an eight-year-old that's been finished in Caribbean rum casks for six months. And this is really the next phase of what it is to innovate in whiskey. Now, finishing within brown spirits is something that people are really familiar with. Um, I mean, within the world of scotch, all you've got to yeah. do is think back to that beautiful 14-year-old, and I think we all know the one, which is delicious. Irish whiskey boys did it. I mean, it's been done within American yeah. whiskey mm-hmm. as well. What's really intriguing about this launch here is this has been done at entry level. Um, this is effectively what we call lime priced with white label. This whiskey, for us, the eight-year-old Caribbean smooth, it's all about being able to offer something within that finishing world to the people, that the new appreciators of whiskey, that next generation of whiskey drinker who are coming up who might have that negative connotation about the category of blended scotch. It's really about re-engaging with them, giving them an opportunity. Dave doesn't get one. I'm so sorry. I completely lost my man. My mum would be so upset with me right now. She would whack you on the head. Absolutely, she would. Or the belt, one of the two. But it's really all about re-engaging with that next generation of whiskey drinker coming up, giving them something that they're familiar with. Um, Does anyone want to have a quick taste of this whiskey whilst we're talking about it? Well, as long as we're here. Right, so this is the Caribbean, eight-year-old, six-month rum finish, uh, six-month finishing Caribbean rum casks. Can I ask uh, which island of the Caribbean, or is it? 
a mix of them. So we just talk Caribbean. I mean, of course, we're, we're, we're owned by Bacardi, so I mean, you can have a rough shot of where right. these barrels are right. coming from. Uh, when we were actually laying this uh, whiskey down, uh, Hurricane Maria swept through Puerto Rico. Um, so we took as many of our own barrels as we could, but we did have to move slightly outside the scope. Okay. Um, so we talk about Caribbean rum casks, but the one thing this does, this mm. whiskey, is it gives these incredible like brown sugar molasses notes. I kind of get a cereal note that you wouldn't necessarily find in the white label. Now, bearing in mind, the white label is a three- to five-year-old blend, and this is an eight-year-old age statement. So the youngest whiskey in this glass is eight years. But there's this incredible tropical fruit note and almost toasted coconut. But, I mean, this stuff's crushing. Yeah, I mean, this has got the texture that I was talking yeah. about. You know, for mixing, like, like, simple drinks, you want something that's got that kind of richness and creaminess because you don't have to ladle in tons of other ingredients because it makes for a, a simple cocktail that's, that's satisfying. And uh, that, that is uh, always, for me, the... Uh, you know, that's that's the sweet spot. It's like, yeah. I, I made this really fast, and it's really good. Caribbean smooth and tonic. Trust me, it's the move. It's delicious. That's in your other flask. Yeah, I might stir this up with some... <laughs> yeah, I might stir this up with some Bianco Vermouth and right. a couple dashes of orange bitters, and, you know, I'd be pretty happy. I think that would be pretty nice. Well, thank you guys for coming out to... Uh, Reversal live recording of Life Behind Bars. Uh, our, our glasses are, are almost empty. I feel like there might be more scotch somewhere in here for, for us to drink. Uh, Gareth has no doubt another flask somewhere for us to uh, sample. I may or may not have another so, one tucked away somewhere. <laughs> so I'm going to do another episode. Thanks for coming on, Gareth. Thank you for having Cheers. me. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers off. Dave and I encourage you to drink responsibly always. 